All right, and we are back with another episode of the Elite Seller Show. On today's podcast episode, I have Ryan Kramer. Now, Ryan Kramer, you may know him from Crossover Commerce and from working with Ping Pong Payments. He definitely is going to be talking about some interesting things. Today, we are definitely going to be talking about uh, cashing in on currency conversion and emergent marketplaces. So just to give you a little bio about Ryan, Ryan Kramer has worked in various e-commerce companies over the last six years, specializing in partnerships, marketing, business development, and branding. He was introduced to the e-com Amazon world back in 2014 and worked at several Evergreen enterprises, including Viral Launch and is now over at Ping Pong. So he definitely knows his stuff. He grew a non-existent revenue channel with multiple years and six and seven figure growth. So Ryan, I'll let you take it from there. What are your thoughts on emerging marketplaces and cashing in on currency conversion? Well, Josh, first and foremost, thanks for having me on. I know that you've been on Crossover Commerce, so I appreciate you. I, I love it when people kind of take their own channel and kind of spin and put their own unique perspective on it. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of people in the industry that I looked up to and I said, you know what? I think I can maybe do that. I don't know if a lot of people will listen, but here we are today. Like you have so many people lined up and I'm just lucky enough to have you know, be a here and just talk with you. So, uh, but to answer your question, yeah. So merging marketplaces. So look, 2020 put a lot of people on blast, right? Let's, let's call it on blast. Amazon stopped, the world stopped for a matter of a couple of weeks. And we all said, what now? And then when they start to kick back up, you, you halted this big ecosystem and you saw a lot of operational efficiency voice, right? So you look at logistics, you look at what Amazon deems important. You look at all these kinds of factors that if you were selling on Amazon and Amazon alone, you were royally screwed. If you were not an uh, not or essential products, most people are not. So that being said, there was a lot of diversification and how you manage your business. Now, fast forward to a year plus later, people are looking at ways to be more operational efficient. And like you had mentioned, one of those aspects is going to be paying your suppliers and manufacturers. Now, I preface that because it's super important to know that time is the one currency, and I'm going to talk about currency in different ways today. Mm -hmm. Currency is seen in both time and monetary value, right? As an e-commerce seller, the world always is going. You can buy products on 24-7, 365, almost all over the world, no matter where you might be. And so as e-commerce seller and entrepreneur, you need to make sure that your time is spent effectively in saving both your time and then also money. So then you can obviously grow and scale your business. What we're seeing with money and monetary saving funds, let's, let's call it saving money to your bottom line. Mm -hmm. People are trying to get back time in ways of saving money. So the reason why our company is kind of important is you want to make sure that in the time of processing, let's call it the dollar to the yuan in China, mm -hmm. it takes on average anywhere for a, a paying a invoice like seven minutes. And you're doing that 200 times a month, for example, small amounts that you're sending out all over the time. And you do that across 12 months. The number that you're coming up with, if, you, if my mouth is still serving me correct, is 35 days of admin time just paying out invoices in admin time. So if you think about a month of time that you're looking at over the course of an entire year that you're just doing for invoice paying, mm -hmm. that's, an, that's the insane amount of time in general that for one task to be done, one, you want to be saving that and some other aspects. So that, that's kind of where we're looking at operational efficiencies and almost scaling your business not just for an entrepreneur, but at scale and as an actual enterprise business. 
So that's one way we're helping people save money. But the reason why it's important for your audience to know this Mm -hmm. is because they're going to be looking at ways to get their goods here quicker, right? They're in the United States or North America or wherever they might be. More often than not, their goods are made on a boat. It's going to take anywhere from 45, 90 days plus to get here. How do we get that goods from point A to point B quicker? Now that can be done in a couple different ways. One, paying out your suppliers in local currency. I don't know about you, but I don't have yuan just floating around in my bank account. Uh, I certainly don't have that, but what a lot of people are doing is they're paying in the dollar Mm -hmm. and they're waiting for that money to be converted over by their supplier's bank or just by international transaction for the money to get there. And that is just killing people's turnaround times because they can't, supplier can't pay out their employees. They can't buy their resources to make the materials without that local currency. So they're actually waiting on a system in place, banks and whatnot, to actually just release local currency so they can actually process your goods, get it made, then go through quality inspection, then go through all these kinds of things that you want to happen and then put it on a boat and then send it all across the water. So what we're doing is we're actually putting processes in place. So it's actually shortening your time Mm -hmm. in order to get more goods quicker, faster on the water to get to FBA or third-party warehouse quicker. So that's one of the things that we're really focused in working on. We're trying to express to sellers, no matter what size you are, that's the fastest and easiest and actually most cost-effective way to grow your business, but also just being smarter with your money and time. That's really impressive that you guys have this unique system set up in place that's going to help not only uh, e-commerce sellers transfer their money to their suppliers as efficiently as possible, but does this system also factor in uh, the currency change evaluation? So for today, uh, let's say I'm in Mexico, one American dollar is just under 20 pesos. Is there a way to actually have a system in place to maximize your return on that dollar into a conversion for clients? 100%. So like the stock market, right? Uh, the currency is constantly going up and down. You see a flutter all the time. Um, it might take something catastrophic, like let's call it Brexit, right? Mm-hmm. You saw something like the the pound sterling just instantly drop in value when they're like, deuces uh, the rest of Europe, we're, we're out. We're going to be our own nation for a while. Mm-hmm. That value of the pound dropped dramatically. So if I was a seller and I was receiving pound sterling, converting it over, and if I was going to be doing that from Amazon at the time and selling in the UK, I actually got really screwed. I lost a ton of money just because I had that currency, unless I let it sit there. But Amazon, as you know, they pay you out every two weeks, regardless of what the economic climate is, they will push that currency and convert it over for you in the ecosystem. So if that was the case, I could have lost tens of thousands, if not more, and just currency conversions just because of the weight of one currency in the entire world. Now that that's ridiculous to know, right? You don't, as a seller, you should have control over that, but we kind of put that system in place where you can. Currency conversion should happen when you feel strongest about what that currency could be in, right? We're trying to eliminate the amount of conversions from one currency to another, because the more you convert it over, the more fees you would rack up and so on and so forth. That's that's just the inevitable. Yeah. But when you're eliminating those kinds of things, Amazon will pay you out every two weeks. But with our solution, we actually did it so that you can hold on to your currency and let it sit in that amount. So Amazon will pay you out, for example, for you in the peso. And if they want to convert it to the dollar, you can wait until the Mexican peso's valuation gets closer to the dollar or even is stronger down the road. So you're actually making money if you're just holding on to it, almost like a bank account or earning interest. You're just waiting for that time that you know that you want to convert it over and need those funds. So we give that power to the seller ultimately. Same with converting funds to send to your manufacturer, supplier, or VAs. 
anytime that money gets converted over, whether it's US to, you know, PHP, which is in the Philippines, mm-hmm. if you have VAs there, they get hit with all sorts of fees. And then also on the conversion on top of that, you want them to actually earn what they're earning and not have to pay all these ridiculous fees. And that's no one's fault. That's just the economics of moving money around the world financially. The old way of doing business was going through all these third-party banks and institutions and money was moving hand from hand to hand and everyone takes a cut of the pie. Mm -hmm. But what we've done is we have streamlined the processes. So we're working directly with banks. So we've taken a lot of those unnecessary barriers out to put them into the seller or the receiver's hands so that you're saving money at the end of the day. So it honestly sounds like the system is designed to actually benefit both ends and help everybody else out in between. I imagine when the end user or the end person, whoever is at the end of the transaction, goes through and gets their funds, they're actually pretty satisfied with what they actually get when it converts over into their currency. Is there any kind of floor to protect both ends of the party so that the currency doesn't devalue uh, too much over time? So in real time, when you're getting the, the money, you can let it sit there in that currency, or you can actually, you know, that that's what economic systems are in place. Like you want to have like a base or a floor, whatever you're trading in. But what people can do is have, if they're receiving, for example, in if I'm selling in the United Kingdom, for example, I can hold on to the sterling in case I need to pay out an individual or a supplier, you know, just a partner in, in the UK. So you can actually hold up 10 different currencies and just pay them out as you go. Um, but kind of the floor, I guess, to ask your question is currencies will always, if they're if they're regulated by governments and whatnot, mm-hmm. that, that's the biggest thing is they have to, there's strength in terms of what the regulators are deeming what it should be. Obviously, economic strength of, depending on the nation you might be in, also deems what its value should be. But if you're going to be paying them out in local currency, they actually make more money. So an example to kind of maybe preface the case of saving money is, if I'm a seller, did you actually know that in China, they're going to put in a buffer? It's called a, a buffer that into your invoice when they send it to you for your, your next purchase order for your goods. It's naturally built into so that they actually protect themselves from any sort of fluctuations in currency. That's ridiculous because of 4 to 5% increase just in currency uh, in fluctuation alone. That's a lot of coming out of the seller's pocket who's buying goods from overseas but it's, they're doing it to protect themselves. So they have that system in place, but a lot of sellers don't understand that. So that's a, that's a key takeaway that if you're listening to this, you're going to have to understand that they're not going to do this just to give you more breaks on money, whether it's relationship you've built with them, or it's the kind of industry that you're working in. Or if you just had go back a long ways, there's way they have to protect themselves in terms of making money. That's why they're in business as well. Mm-hmm. What's super important to know is that if you're paying in local currency, not only do they get their money quicker because of that turnaround time we talked about earlier, but it's actually eliminating that buffer that we were talking about, that four to five percent. Mm-hmm. That me as a seller, if I'm buying goods over there, I can actually buy more inventory from them with that same amount than instead of paying a fee, um, which we all know that every seller in the world hates doing. Amazon puts enough fees already on your plate. Right. Let's take one of those off your plate in something you can't actually control. That's actually pretty impressive. I, I wasn't aware of this uh, unique buffer that is in place if you're paying with your local currency, your domestic currency versus the local currency that they operate. So I imagine with this in place, this is going to definitely not only benefit the seller that's obviously uh, trying to acquire the goods, but also the provider that's trying to distribute the goods. Is there a way that this concept of cashing in on uh, on currency exchange can be applied to, let's say, 
different e-commerce platforms? Like, what do you see the benefit of that? Are you guys exclusively just working with Amazon, uh, Amazon sellers and uh, Amazon providers, or are you guys like emerging out into Mercari and Mercado Libre and eBay and those kind of platforms? hundred percent. Yeah. So the value of Amazon is obviously strong as everyone of your guests will, will say that's the number one marketplace platform for entrepreneurs to grow. Mm-hmm. It's not the only one. And we recognize that as a global entity, we actually recognize that Amazon's a very big player, but there's also a lot of other pieces of the pie where you want to see emerge. And there's, you know, adoption that's already ingrained in these marketplaces. Amazon's only been in 20 or so marketplaces around the world. Mm -hmm. They're very popular, but they're not the only players in place. For that being said, it's, it's marketplace options like building out a Shopify store, building out and working with, you know, potentially walmart.com if you're able to get in with them, or even Target is a marketplace by definition. Mm-hmm. They're a lot smaller, but they will, I'm assuming, grow out further down the line. But you have things like eBay, like you mentioned, Rakuten, yeah. humongous in Japan, just ginormous. Mercado Libre is by far and away the biggest marketplace in Central and South America those marketplaces we do talk to as well. So think about having a solution for all these different nuances that you as a brand want to venture out into. We've actually done it so you can holistically under one dashboard, make it so that you see all inbound and outbound transactions all under one place. So I can say, oh, Mercado Libre this month is doing very well in in Mexico or Mm -hmm. hey, my Amazon Canada account is converting over and it's doing 10,000 Canadian dollar. That's amazing. I'm my bookkeeper's best friend all of a sudden because they can actually see inbound invoices, download that CSV file, upload it to zero or your accounting software and you're done. So that's a lot of ways to what we've built out is helping small and medium-sized businesses. But now we've had the engine that's in place that you can scale it to an ERP. So you as a brand owner, you can actually have solutions that on the financial side, you can know when your money's out Uh, you've written checks or for example, you've written a check and it doesn't cash for three weeks, but you know where that money is. So that's where the solutions we're trying to fix all those little nuances and problems. Again, taking time, putting it back into your pocket so that you can worry about other things that matter to your business instead of waiting for a cash to check or waiting for a wire to hit a bank account to be withdrawn and hit their bank account. All those things are going to be built into under one platform. Yeah, that's that's really unique that you guys have that set up that way to especially target the the quote unquote the Amazons of the rest of the world. Obviously, these other marketplaces are going to start growing, and then obviously competition is going to keep them in check so that they're actually beneficial to those unique platforms that the seller is distributing their goods on. I would like to know your thoughts when it comes to Amazon sellers trying to maximize the currency conversion and sales velocity when it comes to these emerging marketplaces using your platform. So uh, for example, if somebody is selling in the United States, Mexico, and Canada, but they have goods in these warehouses waiting for it when the currency is strong, are you recommending pushing more inventory just so that they can actually maximize the return or uh, pull back when the dollar is lower? Yeah, good question. So what I've I've seen a lot of successful sellers um, actually talk about even top 100 sellers using us, they're using a solution. What they found actually very beneficial is the North American Remote Fulfillment Program. Mm-hmm. It's the NARF, <laughs> academically, it's not very, uh, rules off your tongue, the NARF program. But what these sellers are starting to see, and I think this is pretty consistent across the board, is it still provides the prime badge it's not being delivered, obviously, in two days, but it provi- provides prime badge 
capabilities for you to take your goods in FBA warehousing in North America and fulfill in the likes of Canada or Mexico. Now you have to have a seller account, obviously in those entities, but if you're talking about logistics in terms of getting goods to the end user for those different marketplaces, we're actually seeing it very beneficial for them to have it in United States and then have it fulfilled in likes of Canada and Mexico, just because if they're either dipping their toes in the water, for example, testing out the Canadian market, if their goods will be successful, then on their next order, they can start to figure out, all right, logistically, I can now send 10% of my units to Canada or you know 5% of my units to a Mexican fulfillment center. All those things are starting to catch up with the rest of the United States, because our logistics system for Amazon wise is the bell of the ball right now. They have figured out how to get it to consumers in an hour, as little as an hour or two days Mm -hmm. across the entire country. And that's fantastic. It hasn't necessarily reached that facility to other countries. So if you're really trying to test the international markets, that's one program that we've seen be successful for sellers just because you can see, hey, if it actually is, it's not just sitting in a warehouse in Canada. Mm. Um, I'm saving money in terms of storage fees in Canada, in Mexico, but you can still fulfill orders there and it still gets to there you know, in less than a week, obviously. So it, it's something that you would still be paying fees on delivering, but you know for a fact that it's going to convert in that capacity, if that answers your question. Yeah, it does. It does. Uh, is there anything similar to NARF in, let's say, other marketplaces like in the UK, where they have just a ton of different currency valuations and a ton of different uh, countries in, in the United Kingdom? Is there anything similar to that? And is NARF kind of similar to what was established back in 1992 with Bill Clinton, uh, NAFTA? So no, yeah, different from NAFTA. Uh, so it, it's just a fulfillment network that Amazon's built out so it can talk to itself mm-hmm. um, within North America because of their logistics system here. So that's a program you actually have to apply for, but lots of sellers have seen success just because of dipping toes in international water. You have to be of a certain size, but you would have to apply. Um, if you want more information, you can obviously reach out to us. We can connect you with sellers. You've been successful at that. That being said, in UK specifically, it, it's for lack of a better term, it's on its own island, unfortunately. When you've removed itself from uh, in the terms of Brexit, Brexit has kind of reshifted a lot of sellers and businesses focus away from it tying to the rest of Europe. It has literally removed itself and put itself on its own island. So not a lot of people know the logistics side of things, how that's going to work off taxing side of things, how it's going to work out. There's a lot of different great areas that sellers are still trying to figure out. Still a great marketplace, still, I would say, 2A or 2B in terms of opportunity available. What does exist over in Europe is the pan-European program. So that is something where if you're sending goods, we talk about how do you actually fulfill goods across all of Europe? There's so many different marketplaces, but where do I send it? A lot of sellers have come to us and have shared with us this this trick as well. And because of my podcast, as I get to hear great tips like this, is sending goods into the Netherlands and then obviously having Netherlands send those goods to Germany. Germany is the 2A or 2B of the Amazon world right now in terms of marketplace growth and adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, from there, if your goods are in Germany, you can actually, if you're a part of this program, fulfill to the likes of Spain, Italy, Luxembourg, where, wherever you might be in Europe, you can actually fulfill in the in that program as well. So it's really cool to see that Amazon has these programs in place. But again, once you know that you have an adoption or you have a good foothold in sales traffic in those marketplaces, you can start directly sending to 
those locales as well. But a lot of people are going directly from either China to Netherlands, and that's kind of the port of where all the goods are being delivered through. So would that be just shipping by air? Or would that be shipping by sea? Because it's technically on the same continent altogether. Uh, how, how would that work out logistically? Because uh, I imagine like sea is going to definitely take a long time. It's definitely going to have to go through, uh, I think it's like what, the Bering Strait? It would go back, yeah, through the, the whole Suez Canal. Yeah, the, when we saw with the Evergreen, the blocking of that canal, that, that's actually the route that they take for there. So that's why it was super important. If you were a seller and you were actually fulfilling to Europe, a lot of sellers had their goods actually backed up for quite a while. So I, I will preface this. I'm not a logistics expert. That's why we have partners in place mm -hmm. that are best in terms of getting from goods from point A to point B at a cost-effective rate. What I will say is that a lot of people are sending it to Netherlands and getting fulfilled either by rail, I think from there, or just by truck, but just in logistics in general, I've heard some fascinating topics. I was on a webinar with uh, Mavli and First Choice Shipping and Pearl Ausch from First Choice Shipping says they're actually telling their customers that it's so backed up by shipping by sea right now that they're actually opting and telling their sellers to start looking at all ship by air. If you're a seller and you know this, historically that's so expensive in terms of that regards but if you think about in terms of getting your goods in time yeah and getting it at a cost-effective rate time versus you know just it sitting on the water we know that inventory limits and restock limits are now getting you're getting deemed by what is deemed on the way to amazon so if you have a inventory sitting on the water it counts against your inventory limits so would you rather it be in the air, get it here quicker, mm -hmm. and then Amazon fulfilling it that way? Or would you rather have something sit on the water where you can't sell it and it might hurt your IPI score, your inventory limits, so on and so forth? So you have to really outweigh, and I would actually lean to hear what they have to say other than my opinions and objectives and what I see with our sellers, just because they're the masters at like pricing, how to get them quicker, and what you know, you can negotiate in terms of limits because right. We talked about logistics. It's so convoluted right now. It scares me to even think about from a seller's perspective, how prices have increased in terms of just inventory restrictions in general. You have to worry about container prices, which have gone up 4X, 4X. So it's like you're anywhere from $16,000 plus or minus a couple grand per container just to get it on the water overseas. That's a huge cost that sellers are now taking on. Talking about time, it's extended. There's just containers just sitting on the water, not being offloaded. And then you have to worry about the limitations of what you can put into FBA warehousing. Mm -hmm. It's no longer a, a storage solution. It's now a, oh my gosh, I, it's a fulfillment solution, right? It's to get to the consumer quicker. So we have to figure out now, do I put it in a 3PL warehouse? Do I have a freight forwarder? How do I use these tactics now to get inventory more consistent there instead of bulk batches and containers to Amazon and let it sit there. So all this kind of piles into your earlier question of how do we optimize and how do we save time and money? That's a big question that a lot of people are asking. There's so many more barriers to entry that are going up for sellers. Is that how do we overcome it? Is it money? Is it experience? Is it just learning new things like saving funds and paying in currency, logistics and supply chain? What are those things that are going to set us apart and for us to continue to be successful online? So speaking of things that are going to set us apart and continue to have us be successful online, where do you see Amazon going in 2021? And what are the most common mistakes that you see sellers make when it comes to their business that they aren't even aware of, especially in fintech? 
Great question. So 2021 has been has been interesting to say the least. I, I think this is the first year that I've seen more people get paralyzed. Analysis by paralysis, right? We're all subject to this of news and notifications come out. We're like, well, what does this mean for us? Do I have to redo my entire listing? Do I have to redo my entire product selection? How do I do I redo my PPC strategy? It's not the case. I think a lot of the times these systems are put in place are for businesses to be more successful long-term. I think it's very frustrating for people who have been online for so long that it's been, I'm going to use the word that might be controversial. It's been easy to sell on Amazon up to 2020. I think it's been, the data has become available. It's more fluid. It's easy to buy cheap goods, get it over here cost effectively and throw them up online and actually take advantage of a marketplace that's green and fresh. But as economies grow, people start to see the weaknesses in all these kinds of opportunities, right? Your competition might say, hey, your product is not as good as mine. I'm going to get a better product and I'm going to try to compete with you. Just like that, there's going to be a lot more competition and a lot more barriers that you have to overcome just like in business itself. So in 2021, I would say that Amazon's going to move towards a still keeping customer focus in mind at the end of the day, how do I get the goods quicker to customers? Building holistic solutions so that people feel comfortable from ordering groceries, buying goods such as uh, essential goods like like food, diapers, continue with that processes, and then also make their warehousing less of a storage facility and actually more of a fulfillment center in that regards. For sellers, on the other hand, I think it's going to just put more barriers into place so that if they want to overcome and they continue to work with Amazon, they're going to have to continue to stay on top of the ball and continue with education content management, listen to shows like this, and people who have their eyes and uh, fingers on the pulses of shipping logistics companies, PPC management, keyword research, all that fun stuff, you're going to have to continuously educate yourself and know the tips and tricks to be successful. There's not a silver bullet to, at the end of the day, to fix all your problems, right? You're going to have to keep tweaking and keep adjusting your efforts online. Not every listing is going to be perfect. Not every PPC campaign is going to be perfect, but you have to keep tweaking and listen to the data and follow it to continue to build your business going forward. So to be more straightforward, I think Amazon's going to frustrate a lot of sellers to the point where you see the people who want to turn and burn products, get out quick, not be successful. I think you're going to see a lot less of those people enter the market. You're going to see brands who want to do it right, effectively, and build something like an have an actual asset at hand or business at hand, mm-hmm. those people are going to be putting more money into their education in terms of logistics, supply chain, brand management. And they're going to see the continued growth of these aggregators. I think that that's the one thing that a lot of people have a question mark about, but I, I see it as a an aggregator or by definition, someone who's acquiring these businesses with private money or venture capital money. They're doing it because they know they have a supply chain team that they can continue to operate efficiently and scale these businesses that were started, but they can take it to the next level. Right. And they do, are doing that by international growth. They're doing it by localizing their products and they're doing it by relationships with other sorts of opportunities. Again, marketplaces across just even the United States that people don't think about. Wayfair, Zulily, Rakuten, Best Buy, you can even fulfill through them or sell wholesale through Sam's Club, Walmart, all these different kinds of opportunities, that's where you're going to see 
a lot of these companies that at scale, they have the money capability and wherewithal to know how to create efficiencies in the system and take it to the next level. So you'll see lots of interesting changes growing forward. You also start to see a lot of service providers hopefully keep their pulse on logistics and supply chain and really start to keep sending to innovate and in how to stand out from the rest of everyone else. That's interesting that you put it that way, especially when it comes to the proposition that the shakeup on Amazon with the frustration is going to immediately mitigate a lot of the me too sellers out there and the ones that actually have the intestinal fortitude, the gumption and the ability to actually move forward while also delivering quality goods are the ones that are actually going to rise. They're going to be the cream of the crop, essentially. And on top of that, with Amazon rolling out the follow button and uh, subscribe and save and all these unique features that are going to allow you to build a really wholesome brand on their platform. Do you see that these other sellers that are just in it to win it for a quick buck or two, are they, do you, do you think that they're just going to start diverging over to other marketplaces such as Mercari and Rakuten and, and all these other, uh, other platforms, or are they just going to fall off the wayside? It's possible. I mean, you've seen Amazon put a lot of, uh, they've put on blast. I think the seller community with the whole review, looking through bad actors and black hat tactics and poor reviews, solutions, um, solutions to game the system. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, at the end of the day, I think a majority of sellers do want to do it right. They want to play ball and they want to do it in the fact of what Amazon allows them to. I think where you see a lot of frustrations is when people don't play by the rules and they don't get slapped on the wrist. Mm -hmm. But that's somewhat changed actually recently. So you see a lot of even nine-figure sellers be instantly taken off the marketplace because of them engaging in wrongful tactics. At the end of the day, if it doesn't protect the buyer or the you know end consumer, Amazon's not going to like that. They're not going to want that to be a place where commerce happens. Mm -hmm. um, ultimately, that, that's what they've always said from day one is at the end of the day, the customer is our number one focus. How can we make sure that they're getting truthful products? They, they know that they're not going to get gained on our platform. It's going to be truthful in what they get. And if they're opening up to third-party sellers, is that are they going to have representative products of what they're trying to advertise out there? So ultimately, I think you're right. The cream of the crop is going to rise. And a lot of people who are just trying to get quick bucks, they'll divert them themselves over to social commerce, other marketplaces. But I think ultimately, those solutions and marketplaces will also try to keep people away in that regards, commerce has happened and it has always innovated in various capacities over the entire life cycle of human race, right? Mm -hmm. We found different ways to make commerce happen, whether it's through Craigslist, for example, um, and now it's like social media and now it's on these other marketplace channels. There'll be continuous ways to even sell and buy goods as we see innovation continue to happen. Amazon's whole marketplace of walk in, walk out and not have to go through a checkout line, that's innovation what's going to be the next step in how people get their goods, uh, physical and tangible goods and services. Is it going to be data being used and they're going to serve more ads to you? I I'm not sure. It's, it's really going to continue to innovate. And that's both exciting and scary is that uh, this is not the end. This it's kind of the beginning mm -hmm. that it's a lot of people joke. They know what I want before I do, but that has always existed in the back, even in history of using rewards points or coupons. Mm -hmm. These companies, it's not a practice that people should be, oh, this is new. This is new technology. They're using my data against me. It's not new people. It's uh, it's different in how they innovate with it because how do you think that your grocery store knows what coupons to give you every single day? 
there's studies that Target has done if they will send curated catalogs to their customers, depending on what they've bought in the past. They have predictive analysis to know when you are like pregnant and looking for friends of like pregnant people or, you know, their birthdays are coming up or you're moving to a new home. All that data is just under your customer profile. It's just how are you using it differently? That's why the Nielsen report exists. That's why they know what ads to serve you on commercials, so on and so forth. People just aren't thinking through that. Now it's playing out in terms of get you to products quicker because we don't want to have to do the long-winded approach of like, oh, go to a retail store, try on products. No, now Amazon's going to serve you an ad. You're a large. Here's a large t-shirt that you were looking at in store or a couple of months ago, and you're in, you're in the mood for it. I'm going to serve this on also all your social media platforms. You're going to see it pop up across our display networks. Um, and then also when you're clicking on your Fire TV now, guess what? You're going to start to see ads that pop up in that regard. So it's going to be more smart targeted approach, but it's a good thing because you can start waiting through all the unnecessary commercials maybe. Um, but it's also a scary thing that they know more about you than sometimes you do. Yeah. Right. All these tech companies know more about you than your own spouses, right? That's uh exactly. Or they'll order goods for you when it's your when it's your spouse's birthday and Amazon orders them flowers for you. You'll be very thankful. Best ways to keep out of the doghouse. Exactly. So it'll be a good and bad thing. But as times grow, that that's the beautiful thing about entrepreneurship is there's going to be so much technology and solutions that constantly are adding to. I mean, like Elise Seller, you guys are constantly adding new you know, solutions in place to help people understand their customer better. And that's not for a sheer fact of we're trying to gain the system. It's to understand how they can serve their end consumer better to either buy more goods that they're actually opting into in the first place. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, it's uh, we're all trying to help somebody or sell something in that regards. That has always existed. It's just how do we keep a leg up on competition? That That's the new... How do you do that? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a that's a very nuanced perspective, and it's 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 refreshing to actually hear that because I know a lot of people are very paranoid about the ability that our apparatuses, our technology, our phones, our tablets, our, our computers would have all these data points about us and just constantly serving up these unique ad propositions or selling propositions that are specifically tailored to what we want. What I'd like to know from you, in in your expert opinion, is since Amazon has set this foundation of what tech monopolies could essentially look like, where do you see the next big boom platform that, that Amazon sellers could easily move over to that's not Shopify or eBay? You're talking about just where they can sell their goods on or how they can get their goods to people. Mm -hmm. I think you're going to find a nuanced way to get your goods in front of social commerce quicker and better. We starting to see this move away from Amazon with their DSP network, right? Of if you don't know DSP, we haven't talked about on this podcast. It's the display network that Amazon's building out. It's not. It's not a. It's not a new aged idea. It's the fact a Google display network exists on, across their network on YouTube. You see the little icon on the top right. It's just a display functionality of no matter where you are, they cookie your or pixel your browser. Then they know what you're opting into. They get your information. They can start serving you relevant information. Amazon, on the other hand, is also doing that, but they're not pointing people to Amazon. They don't have to point people back to Amazon. Mm -hmm. So what I view by that is they know that commerce may not want to happen on Amazon. They may want to be on a Shopify or maybe happen in browser. The cool thing about what you're seeing now is this wave of influencer marketing mm -hmm. and what influencer not no matter if it's 
a Kardashian or if it's a person who has a thousand followers and they just love talking about their dogs. Everyone's an influencer at a certain level, which is super fascinating to me because you're seeing this wave of consumer. And I would say it's way, it's definitely younger than me. I, I, I fall subject to it sometimes, but not all the time, but you see people on likes of TikTok, mm-hmm. on Instagram, you can be influenced to purchase a good XYZ just by simply either paying with these people or having a partnership with them. Mm-hmm. And their sell-through rate is kind of fantastic. I think it's very fascinating to be told by somebody you actually look up to. It, it's, it goes back to the whole adage of seeing actors smoke in movies, right? Yeah. Oh, I want to be like John Wayne. He smokes. So therefore I'm buying my cam- my camel cigarettes. And that's not to say that it wasn't bad. It's just what you saw and the medium that was being served to you at the time. Mm-hmm. Now, what has that changed over into nowadays? It's on your set phone. It's on your uh, smart TVs. It's wherever you're consuming media. Mm-hmm. It's on your Apple devices. They're going to start serving you content that if I see influencer XYZ or someone says, hey, if you're a dog lover like me and I want to, I'm worried about my dog being lonely while I'm there. I'm going to, this camera that can serve my dog a treat while you're gone and you can talk to it through your phone. Mm-hmm. It's only 125 bucks. Why not purchase one today? Yep. Done. Like you, I, I totally relate to that done purchase and you can do it within app. You're going to be purchasing through a Shopify store mm-hmm. or an ability to be delivered or fulfilled by Amazon. There'll be all these integrations that happen. It's just, how do you continuously find the market that people are watching and flocking to the TikTok kind of effect is really fascinating to me as well, because of, again, going back to this, top 100 seller that I know his product was featured by some influencer. Again, TikTok videos are 30 seconds long. It was just a tutorial of like how, like how they're using it mm-hmm. and the the cool effects of it. And they say, find it on Amazon or something along those lines. And just 10,000 units are off the shelf in one day, like just boom orders, like flying off, which, which again, is it's, it's scary to know that that could happen. Mm-hmm. And you've seen it not just on commerce, but you've seen it in the ways of how people voice their opinions or mm-hmm. how people in good and bad ways. So it's, it's really interesting that this social commerce happening within social media is going to happen and will continue to innovate and happen because I think the marketplace aspect of like even Amazon right now, you can just, uh, excuse me, on Facebook marketplace, you can just throw something up online and, it's eliminated Craigslist to a matter, I mean, to a certain amount. Um, you can do the well, same thing. There's also thing a level of trust with Facebook Marketplace because there's a profile attached to it. You see how long they've been on there. With Craigslist, Craigslist, let's just be honest, man, it's, it's a fucking sketchy website. Uh, but what the most interesting aspect of right. the social commerce that you're talking about is like, there's a name, there's a personality, and there's like tons of content behind this person. And that ability right there can easily elevate a product further beyond its reach outside of any unique uh, new selling platform. So that's what I find the most interesting aspect because again, this person, they have a personality, they're, they're real, you know, they're, they're human. While most companies don't really have a face behind them, they're just a company. So with anybody that thinks of Amazon, they think of Jeff Bezos, but if somebody thinks of eBay, like who's, who, who, who runs eBay? Who runs Shopify? Who runs Rakuten? Like nobody really knows unless they actually do the research and then they have to dig behind that. So that social commerce aspect of it is, is quite unique in the ability that it can actually push the envelope of what sales could potentially be for a unique brand. To that point, there, there, that's why it was super fascinating when Amazon started releasing information on uh, behind sellers. So if you went to their storefront, and if you're listening to this, you can do this on any products. You can see who sells it, um, go to the profile if it's fulfilled or if it's sold by a different 
third-party seller. You can click on it. You can actually see the actual address of where this seller deems their business to be located. And a lot of the times you'll find out you're like, this looks like it should be in the United States, for example, but it's actually a factory over in China, which is not a bad thing, but they've actually are selling directly from their um, their own factories online. Mm-hmm. And they're, begin- they're coming smarter about this. And I say they, like uh, the Chinese economy and sellers are becoming smarter about that. But that's not to say that there's a level of trust behind that because now consumers can actually see, oh, this is like, if they're big on uh, localization or small business, then yeah, of course I can see, Hey, Josh Mo is like in the state away from me. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's a really cool story. Um, that's why branding is very big component behind this because if it's either a face or a story, whatever that might be, mm-hmm. it really kind of sets you apart in that regards. But to go back behind the trust factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Even not just on who is selling this product, but how now people when we were paying with credit cards online, it used to be an old adage of like, I don't want to give my credit card to anyone. Like that's for me. What if someone steals it? Nowadays, we just put our phone onto a uh, dashboard and we pay our groceries with it or a gas bill with it. It doesn't matter anymore, but there's solutions that are provided with financially uh, with apps and other kinds of solutions where you can just pay literally within your phone. It's secured on their pay wallet or um, Apple pay or Google wallet and Google pay that's all contained within the ecosystem. We just feel more comfortable with those entities to store our information, save it. So that when we want to buy, it's going to be, you know, find it on Facebook and pay with your Apple pay uh, credit card. And you literally don't leave your browser or your app. That's what will eventually come of commerce, how those integrations happen. You'll start to see Apple needs to either build out their own software solution or marketplace to make that all speak to each other. Or there are going to be partnerships of, hey, Google, do you want to work with us over at Shopify and you're going to be our payment service provider? Awesome. So all that's going to kind of, I I think you're going to start to see partnerships grow in that regards, or they're going to build out their own solution and um, either do it through acquisition or just have a a partnership aspect like that. That's actually pretty cool that uh, eventually it's all going to get integrated and just make it super seamless uh, for people to actually pay or purchase products uh, instantaneously through the browser on any single platform or any single device in the coming years, which probably knowing with technology and the rate of development, it could be as easily as two years that all this is get gets integrated easily. Just to wrap this up, final question. If Amazon is considered the top dog in the e-com space, who do you see as being number two and number three in the next couple of years? Like, where do you see the e-com space shifting to just so that uh, people can actually cash in on the currency conversion marketplace? I'm going to maybe throw a lot of people. I think it's going to be the wherever the third party seller community deems it should be. Really? I, I see this as a, a couple of different ways, right? I think that because the seller community on Amazon represents what 65, 70% of the products that sell on there. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's a very big entity for Amazon to just disregard in general. If people wanted to, I think that there, there's pros and cons to every marketplace. I obviously think the marketplace is to be on. Everyone talks about Walmart. It's very hard to understand like what their, like their holdups are and why it's not developed farther than what it has been. In my personal opinion, just because of their network of, you know, solutions across the United States. So, but that's only the United States. So if we're talking about in general, I would say that, I mean, going back to just wherever sellers deem it necessary, I'm going to say Shopify or Shopify concept. Like, I mean, I say concept like Wix commerce or big commerce, uh, Wix, big commerce, uh, Magento, those platforms where people are going to start getting smarter 
we're going to now come full circle and everyone's going to have to be smarter on how to drive and be brand evangelist and people driving traffic back to their own websites and building out our own websites. It's not going to be sophisticated. It's not going to be hard. It's going to be very simple Mm -hmm. product sites replicating what Amazon maybe has in store. Like, again, we all know the blueprint of how it's set up, but driving traffic in general, we're already doing it through social commerce and whatnot, driving it away from and making sure that the purchases are happening on Shopify um, and their own website. You're going to gain data and analysis of where your consumer is going to be. You're going to find out that having your own logistics, either solution or platform is going to behoove you long-term and being able to diversify in case Amazon decides to change its mind with whatever it wants to do, uh, limits and inventory restrictions and whatnot. And then ultimately you just have, you have control over the price and what message you want to constantly send and how you want to attract people. And also it has that homebrew feel to it as well too, where it's, you can really build out that, that brand. You can feel like you have true ownership of your audience base and how to engage them and what kind of products you bring to market because there's less of uh, a big brother feel that's going to get in the way from you actually communicating with them. You can provide better customer service and you can take care of your client base uh, with, with much higher quality customer service at the end of the day. So uh, with that being said, yeah. Ryan, let's, let's wrap this up, man. It's, it's been a pleasure having you on here. Uh, Ryan Kramer uh, with Crossover Commerce and Ping Pong Payments. If you want to message him, all his socials will be down in the bio on YouTube. You'll see it all over Facebook. Make sure you listen to this podcast on Stitcher, uh, uh, Apple Tunes, and, uh, and Spotify. And make sure after you're done doing that, head on over to EliteSeller.com. Check out our website. Go over to the pricing page. Choose a plan. Start your 14-day free plan. Use the code Josh15 at checkout to save 15% off for life. And Ryan Kramer, thank you for being an amazing guest. Josh, thanks for having me today. No problem, man.